J.T. Crowley is talking books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. Hello, I'm J.T. Crowley, and I have to say I'm very privileged to be talking to Dr. Penny Claus for the third time. In the other podcast interviews, we've talked about the three books that make up the Timekeeper's Chronicles, which I have to say I thoroughly enjoyed reviewing. This podcast, we're going to focus on four more of her books, Cat Hunters, and the three books that make up the Cloud Rider series, a series that's set in a far-off galaxy. Dr. Penny is a long-time veterinary surgeon from Dallas in Texas in the United States. She's been married to David, a clockmaster, for some time. They have two grown-up children, Steph and Joshua. And I think it would be fair enough to say Dr. Penny's world at the moment can be split into three. Her veterinary work, writing, and the world of clocks. In her house, there are clocks, clocks, and even more clocks, everyone. And that's where the, the Time Chronicles books come from. But we're not going to talk about that series in this podcast. But you'll see there are three clocks behind you. And no doubt throughout this podcast, this interview, one of them will go chime or some of the other clocks will be chiming. But there you go. So, yes, we've got grandfather clocks and a whole host of other types. And when you look at the Timekeeper's Chronicles trilogy, you'll find they're about clocks and the time rates. It's They are wonderful books, everybody. Wonderful. But we're not going to talk about them because she's got more to talk about. So we're here to talk about Cat Hunters and the Cloud Rounders series. So let's catch up with her for the third time to see what she has to say about these books. Dr. Penny, come and join me. Hi, John. Thanks for inviting me again. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. It is a great pleasure. And I have to say, everybody, we started this in May. And for numerous reasons, it just hasn't happened until now in October. So this has to be the longest. (laughs) One thing after another. (laughs) The longest podcast in the making, but hey, it's super exciting to have you back on. Um, Now, you and I have known each other for more than two years. But before we open the books, can you tell us a little about yourself, uh, what you do, and how you came to write all the books you've written, particularly the Cloud Rider series and Cat Hunters? Well, like you said, I'm a a small animal veterinarian uh, over 30 years. I've always wanted to write. um, And uh, I finally, as things kind of settled down and uh, almost started as a stress relief, I started working on Cloud Riders. That was my very first sci-fi fantasy novel. And then from there, I was just inspired to do more and more. And then just trying to get my books out there to get recognized. Um, So, and working, you know, uh, that has inspired some things. Uh, Some things my family has said has inspired some things. And just an overactive imagination. Um, kind of uh, uh, propelled me forward to, you know, put these characters and worlds down it, on uh, paper, so to speak, so that I could share it with the world and hope that others would enjoy it too. 
Let's open Cat Hunters. Now this book has 44 chapters. But before we embrace the story, I'm curious as to why you chose to build in such a lengthy prologue and epilogue. I understand the concept of a prologue and epilogue, the prologue being an introduction section that sets the stage for the story, and the epilogue, which gives the author the opportunity to tidy up a few loose ends. My question, Penny, is, was this start and the end of the book so important to you that you gave them quite a bit of space in this book? But more importantly, do you feel the prologue is powerful enough to engage the reader to delve further into the book? Personally, I think you have been very clever here. Um, yes, I do. <clears throat> I do feel there's quite a bit that I needed to do to introduce the story. When the inspiration for the story came to mind, it was actually I could see this scene happening in my mind. I wanted to get it down. I wanted to get the energy going. I wanted to get the the um, full emotions and and carry it forward. And I and it I couldn't get to the next chapter until I got to a certain point in that story to make sure I had that all covered. Um, and uh, it was something that I felt was important, so that that I would hope where I had left it would leave the the reader wanting more and leave it enough groundwork to work off of to carry the story forward. Um, and as far as the epilogue, I guess that in a way, it, I had so much to try to establish and to tie up and all that. It was really meant as a one-book series, but I had so many things that I didn't want to fully tie up, that I wanted to kind of leave dangling so that I could draw from those and pull it forward. And I wanted to kind of remind the own owner, sorry, remind the reader uh, of, you know, some certain points through the story and just kind of leave it kind of like, well, it may or may not mean anything, but it gives me that chance to go back to it and build on it again. I thought you were going to come up with that answer. <laughs> we've known uh, each other. Know me well. <laughs> we, 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 we've known each other for two years, everyone. So I knew where she was going with that, but I needed her to tell you. <laughs> now, prior to this uh, interview, Penny, both you and I have had various meetings and conversations as to what to include in this podcast that would best reflect the overall storyline of not only Cat Hunters, but the Cloud Rider books that we will look at shortly. Now, let's go to the Cat Hunters, as I said, and let's go to Chapter 3 because this is a chapter that you felt um, has a strong um, connection with the book, and it's very important, so the reader's going to get a lot out of this. So let's go to Chapter 3. Now, here we have Kalala, the main character, who has turned 18, telling us how she sees how others view her with some degree of distinguishability. We have Kigala's interaction with a white tiger, one of the guardian sentinels, plus a conversation with Mama, her grandmother. But I'm not sure if Kalala at this stage realizes that the character Mama, her real, is her real grandmother. 
Can you shed some light here to the scene you've created? And why is this chapter such a key chapter in your mind? Does this chapter set the scene for what's coming down the line? I believe it does because um, Kailala had been, she doesn't really know her beginnings. She has parents. She doesn't realize they're her adoptive parents. Um, she uh, was orphaned at, at birth. Um, and so she started developing certain abilities. And before this chapter, she was, she realized that she was being regarded with suspicion by the rest of the villagers who are very suspicious. So the, when she was young and with the other kids and everything, you know, she was kind of part of the, the group. Then they started to separate her out. In this chapter, she's kind of reflecting on, okay, she's different. And she started being treated differently by all the medicine women in their clan, um, in her tribe, because they, they're, uh, she's training to be a medicine woman. And ma'am, who, yes, yeah, she doesn't know is her grandmother, is training her up to be a medicine woman. And so they have meetings, you know, they get together to share, you know, cures and, you know, herbs they found to do what and stuff like that. And, um, and she's, they're starting to treat her differently. They're seeing that she has more abilities and they start to recognize her for who she will be, which she doesn't know yet. Then she has a visitation from the Sentinel, um, who is her village's Sentinel. Um, each of the big cats have their own village to guard. Um, and they are the, uh, they're directly working with the spirit of the tribe. Um, who is a, a powerful mystical figure, but, uh, she is, um, she's surprised and she's scared until the sentinel interacts with her in a very friendly way. And then she's like, she feels like wherever this cat, big cat came from, she belongs with whatever this means. She belongs with, like she can connect to that. She had always been kind of feeling a little outside everything. And now she feels like, oh, there, there's something here, but she doesn't know what it is yet. And that's part, the very beginning of the discovery of who she is supposed to be. Yes, I agree with you there. And I also agree with you that this chapter is very important, and that's why we, we put it in. Now, for me, Penny, chapter 20. I am moving along the chapters here, everybody, because the whole idea is to give you a flavor of what this book is about, and not to give too much away. If you want to know what's in it, very simple. Go and buy it. Now, for me, Penny, Chapter 20, Call My Attention. Here we have Kalala encountering a snake. Kalala is somewhat surprised that this snake has some moral standards. Generally speaking, the spirit of the snake should put her and those around her on guard. Penny, briefly tell us, you know, What's going on here? Why? What's the story in this chapter? Where are you taking the reader here? The um, the uh, cat hunters clan, um, uh, their tribe has always regarded the snake hunters with a lot of um, suspicion. Uh, they're considered to be dishonest, and you just had to watch. And there's always something there going on. So when this little snake showed up to help them, um, she was very 
surprised. I mean, she had been introduced to this uh, little snake earlier in the story. Um, but uh, when he came back uh, and and he expressed that what his spirit in, was doing was wrong and he wanted to help them, and, and there was a, a lot of suspicion, but she just, even though he was a snake, she trusted him for some reason. And it, he becomes uh, one of the key characters in the rest of the story. So it's very vital that that she told her sentinels who wanted, you know, to to uh, get rid of this little guy, you know, because they didn't just uh, trust him, to go ahead and trust him and to try to also trust her in her decisions because she was so new. She's still establishing her position, um, even though she wasn't quite sure what she was doing. But she really felt like this little snake, for whatever reason, was important to what was coming. Fair enough. I think, yes, I agree with that. And the little snake, very charming character, everyone. <laughs> but go and have a look for yourself. Now, chapter 36, Penny. Now, you wanted to highlight this chapter. And when I looked at it, I got the impression the snake queen, snake spies, spirit of the death, hunters, and all man. Who are these spirits and characters? And what was the significance in your mind of this particular chapter, as opposed to those that sit either side, you know, in this section of the book? Spill the beans here why this chapter is so significant. Um, plus, why have you created Kalala to be the most powerful person in the Cat Hunters tribe? We refer to her earlier, as you've already said, unmentored and newbie. She's on uncharted waters, so to speak. What are you trying to get across here in this chapter? Basically that there's a, there's a lot of people, young people especially, inexperienced people that feel like they're not prepared for something. They're not, they're getting into something that's over their head, even when it's kind of, they're thrown into it. And um, Kalala, um, who you know, her beginnings and everything else. And then she gets into this position and her mentor can't help her. Uh, she has to learn things on her, you know, on the way. She has to use her instincts and all the abilities that she was given. Um, and I think a lot of people, I think this is just a um, a character that I think a lot of young people can relate to in that they can have the the inner, uh, innate uh, abilities and talents, but they got to be able to step forward and use them. And, uh, and then with, with, of course, she's endowed with special powers and stuff like that. But she also, there's a, um, uh, what was left from the very first spirit of the cat hunters. There's information that she was the only one that ever sat down and read through all the lines of the spirits before her. And that gave her essential information that was undiluted you know, by conjecture or, you know, other things that, that, you know, if you don't go back and read what is written, you're just taking what somebody says about it. You're taking their interpretation about it. So, you know, we have this character that needs to grow. She has information that she needs to read and to understand, and she's the one that's able to do it. That's why she's, um, it becomes the, the person that is needed not only for this time, 
but for the times to come. Oh. Penny, let's leave Cat Hunters now and turn our attention to the Cloud Riders series. There are three books in this series. Um, book one, The Underlands Revealed. Book two, The Overlands Visited. And finally, book three, Mysteries Revealed. Naturally, let's start with book one, The Underlands Revealed. This book takes us to a far-off galaxy of two lands divided by an ancient barrier of toxic clouds. The Overlanders and the Underlanders have, over time, become unaware of each other's existence. There's a prophecy that a reuniter will have the power to reunite the people of those two lands. But the reuniter isn't everyone's cup of tea. The main characters in this book are Castor and Eileen. So why the overall storyline with these two characters at the heart of the plot? Opposites. Excuse me. Opposites. The whole framework of the story is about your extreme opposites being able to come together to do a, uh, to basically change the world. Um, the, uh, they were raised differently. Um, they were, uh, completely different. One was relying on technology. The other one more on the natural abilities that were given them. Um, you know, kind of a, a fantasy. This is, this is where I was trying to put components of sci-fi and fantasy together and interweave them into a story. And um, that was my main reason after the plot came to mind. Um, and then everything is opposites. And can they work to achieve a major goal um, successfully? Um, Kostar, he was not raised like Eileen. Um, she was the, the good neighborhood girl, you know, the girl next door, you know, the, she was straight laced, very religious. Well, she is the prophetess. Um, and, uh, uh, she knew about her and the text and the prophecy. Costar, he was a jerk. Okay. He was a royal brat. <laughs> and he, he was, he, he was so far down the line of royalty. He never thought he would even be close to the throne. And he had a major, major transition when he was thrown into Eileen's world. And he had a, a hard time adjusting to that, um, at first, but it was, you know, uh, it's just so many things that had to come together just for these two to work together. Hmm. And then for them to both realize what their destinies were. Eileen had a little bit more of an idea. Costar was totally out, you know, he had no idea. And it was just kind of brought on him. And then that's where this book starts their journey, you know, and that, that covers the three. Okay. So let's give uh, people a sample of what's going on in this book. Let's go to chapter six. Um, here we see Costar, who I think is a classic narcissist. That's my interpretation. You just call him a jerk. <laughs> You're nicer. 
And um, it's all about him starting to realise the need to change. But um, it's totally unaware of what's coming down the line, as you've already said. Now, Alien, a prophetess, again, you touched upon that, from the Underland, is, is relatively at ease with the changes she sees in Castor, but isn't fully convinced just yet if he's the right person to be the reuniter. She still has significant doubts, doesn't she? Oh, What's definitely. Going on here? Well, whenever whenever somebody thinks of how a person should be, let's say a certain office or a certain you know position or anything yeah. like that, this framework of what you think that person should be. Well, when Costar appears in Eileen's life, and she is told this is the re- reuniter, and he's a jerk, she's like. Okay, um, wait a minute. I think I heard wrong. You know, of course, she didn't say that in the book, but that's kind of that, that, the kind of like a, uh, are you sure? You know, type of thing, because he was so different from what she had in mind when she read, you know, the prophecies and the text and everything that had reference to the re- reuniter. She had a totally different concept who that person should be. Hmm. But, that was part of Costar's journey is he had to go from this person and become the person that would fit that role of the reuniter. Oh, wait for the reuniter, everybody. There's more twists coming down the line. Now, chapter 13. Now, I like this chapter, Penny, for I see it as a pivotal, game-changing chapter as the story intensifies. And it really does set the tone for the reader as to what is about to be revealed for the rest of the book. Aileen is becoming more confident with Castor and takes him to the choosing. Now, the choosing is an event that periodically occurs over time to pick, to choose a new reuniter. But those that attend the event start to wonder if this renew re um unification process is correct, and also you know does it hold much credence? but is k star the right person and here you start to make, you know, the characters Castar and Alien's positions a lot clearer. So I'm asking you, how significant is this chapter to the overall concept of not only this first book, but to the overriding trilogy? This chapter is key in that he, he there's hints before it, you know, that he was to he's supposed to be this reuniter. He never really quite understood or fathomed it. So he, um, when he was just kind of thrown into this, he, he, he you know, Eileen was like, okay, we're going to this. Okay. And stand here. And he's just totally, he has no idea what's supposed to be happening. Pardon me. Excuse me. Um, they, uh, she kind of filled him in just a, a little bit, kind of gave him a little hint. But when he saw what was happening, how each of the, the possible candidates were, um, acting and what they had to say, he started to panic. But he, 
he innately knew what to do. And, um, and that's where that starts his actual firm path onto the road of being a reuniter. Um, and then he kind of learns his role as he goes from that point. But that's when he has something physical in his hand that he received at that point. Um, and yes, the, the choosing that had been happening for so long without it, anything happening, everybody kind of just treated it. Well, some of the people treat it like a joke. Okay. We're going to show up because we have to. Nothing's going to happen. We just party, go home. Well, when something happened, that really rocked the boat with uh, people of the underlands, you know, with the, the clans of the underlands, because, you know, um, some of them were more prepared. Some of them were willing to, oh, wow, you know, this really happened. And some of them were like, uh-uh, no, this wasn't supposed to happen. And it kind of sets the groundwork for who is going to be his help and who's going to be working against him uh, for the, the rest of the story. And it is, it's very significant in this, this particular chapter in showing the, that he is definitely set on his journey. He's got something solid to, to show him that he's supposed to be doing this. And then, um, and then it starts his quest and it starts his, his, uh, fulfillment of destiny. Hmm. Fascinating. <laughs> and the plot thickens everyone. Now, in the second book of the Cloud Rider series, The Overlands Visited, this book starts off with more hints to the vast backstory of the trilogy so far. Here we find Castar on Eileen and a small support group in the Overlands. With all the pieces to the weapon or prophecy, Castar is prompted to return to his family's kingdom. But he found on his return well, it didn't quite go according to plan, and he was shocked. He abdicates his position in order to claim back his own people's independence. So let's have a look at two chapters in this second book to give people a taste here of what's going on in this breathtaking series. In chapter three, Karstar has returned to his own people. He's a changed person from when he left that kingdom. Yet, there are those who still have significant doubts, and there are significant numbers who still have doubts about him, and who remember his unsavoury past, and doubt his purpose for his return. Hmm, what's he come back for? This doubt weakens his belief in himself. Doubts he must address when he addresses the Council of Kings, from his family's kingdom. What the elf warrior seal tells him is fairly significant to the plot here. So why these chain of events here, Penny, and why have you chosen to highlight this chapter? This is another step in Kostar's journey. Um, he's uh, He feels like he needs to help his people because in the, the way he found him when he went back, um, they, they were being totally oppressed, but he had this, you know, he was a reuniter. Could he do both? And during this, he, <clears throat> excuse me, during this chapter, he finds that he cannot. 
Um, and that it also sets the stage for some other characters that are going to become um, uh, more significant uh, in what's going on with them later on in the story. So it's kind of introducing some people. It's also the um, seal, um, the the elf warrior, uh, what he tells him about his old per- her, his old person that he needs to watch it. Um, because he, although he has changed quite a bit, that, you know, things could happen, especially being back home where people expected you, remembered you the way you were. This happens to people. You know, this is a human, you know, thing that, you know, you're, you grow up in a, a town and everything. You go off, you become something, you know, big, prosperous, whatever. And when you go back, they always remember you as a kid. You know, or, you know, all the stupid things you did when you're a kid. Oh, well, yeah. that's kind of what, you mm-hmm. know, that's kind of what he's, he's having to deal with is people want to keep treating them the way they had to treat them back then. But he really, for the most part, he was not that person anymore, but he still had that tendency, you know, that it could flare. It could come out if those people kept picking at him. So he had to be careful of that. And that's what, what Seal was warning him about. Uh-huh. Now, we both agreed, Penny, that Chapter 14 uh, carries a very interesting storyline. Aileen has been kidnapped with the pregnant queen. She encounters the evil destroyer who attempts to coerce her to join him and gain more powers. Should we stand her ground here? That's what she's thinking. Um, Or or not. Um, But either way, then this is a testament to her personal journey of growth that she really relies on in the very near future. Karstar has his own issues with the devious clutches of the Destroyer. For me, this is an intense chapter that sets the scene for the chapters that are about to come, everybody. So my question is, Penny, how powerful do you think this section of the book is, not only to the second book, but again, like I said to previous questions, to the whole theory of the trilogy? It it is very significant because they had to be challenged. You see, Eileen, being a prophetess, she was always in a, uh, a position of respect. Um, she was always, she always had connection to others. She was totally alone. She, she couldn't contact anybody using her abilities. And she had never, ever been challenged to the point she was in that cave. As far as with the destroyer saying, you either follow me or I will kill you. And uh, so it it was a it was a challenge. It was a test, and it was very important to have that showing that okay, you know, all her life she hadn't had that kind of challenge. She had what is she going to do, and whatever her decision was is going to reflect in her actions and what she can do, whether she fulfills her destiny or not for the rest of the trilogy. Um, Costar, there again, he's already been through his back and forth, back and forth. 
and he had set on this, but was he firm in that? Was he was he going to stick to his guns? Was he going to stick to the path? Was he going to, you know, because at every point in everybody's life, even if you think you're on the path you should be, you're going to get challenges. You're going to get tested. And it's during those that show your character, show your uh, ability to stick to it, shows you your depth of belief. And it, um, and and once you're past it, hopefully you've made the right decisions. In other words, you chose wisely um, mm-hmm. your decision. <laughs> then that is a period of growth. You, you, when you go beyond that, and this is true for both of them, you understand more. You're stronger in ways you wouldn't have before if you hadn't had that challenge. Um. I can see some of your viewpoints there. I agree with some of them, but some of them I've got a different stand on, but I'm going to let the readers make their own decision. Though. Oh, okay. I'm curious yeah, about that. I caught you out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, talking about the trilogy, let's move on swiftly to the third book in the Cloud Rider series, Mysteries Revealed. Like in book two, you start this book by reminding people of the story so far. Karstar is desperately trying to get the people of the Underlands ready for a war that he knows is imminent. And Eileen is coming to grips with the fact that everything she and her people have known is now different and that social structure is on the cusp of change. In Chapter 9, you bring back a character from the past, a character who is even more dangerous and claims to be the rightful reuniter, causing confusion among the kingdoms, thus making Karstar and Eileen's task of reuniting the people extremely challenging. The imposter is a direct challenge to Karstar's authority. With the Queen Mother about to give birth, Karstar has difficult decisions to make. And what decisions he makes will ultimately show him in a variety of ways in front of his people, a hero or a coward. What role does the creator have here? And would you care to fill in the blanks for us here, Penny, as to what's occurring here? Who is this character you've brought back from the past? This um, mm, devious character, I would say. You tell us. Carl Bellinos. Like that name. That sounds like Bellicose. But um, he was a contemporary of Costar. He was a prince also of a different family, different kingdom. And they hated each other, you know, even when they were younger. But he was just as narcissistic, just as a jerk as Costar was at that time. So they were rivals in the way, you know, um, constantly at each other and all that. So when he showed up previous to this chapter, um, there's already that tension there, you know, uh, going on because he already knew this person. Well, when he shows up again, Carbellinos shows up again in this chapter, he's even worse. Um, he has been totally taken in by the destroyer. 
and the uh, illusion that he is the reuniter. And he he believes it enough where he's going to stand for it and he wants to challenge Costar. The the news of the, the Queen Mother giving birth is significant because Eileen and Karstar had to be at her birth. They had to be there for a very significant reason that comes from when they uh, Eileen and the Queen were in the cave. Um, and the, this is incredibly important. Um, so he had to make a decision. Here he was challenged to a duel by his rival, who is claiming to be the reuniter and mucking up everything for him. And he knew if he backed down, you know, Costar knew if he backed down from that challenge, that he could look like a coward and they may lose ground, you know, in this. But when he got news of this, he had to decide what is more important. Because that baby is important. Um, and that does, doesn't become fully realized until the book I'm working on now. But there is a, um, there is that tension between that, the whole thing, this decision he had to make. Does he save the baby or does he save face? Well, he chooses to leave the fight. And Cobellanos thinks that's great. He thinks he's got the upper hand. He still wants to, to fight him, challenge him, but the creator takes care of him for a while and makes known who is his choice. So, um, so Eileen and Carstar do what they have to do. And they just, they know Cobellanos is still there in the background. But they did the right thing. Choices. Oh, yeah, choices, I see. Yeah. Um, and finally, Chapter 10, uh, Penny. You hint at some romance here. Mm. Uh, between Castor and Eileen. A situation they personally would like to deepen. But their own destinies, everybody, don't quite allow the road to go so smoothly. Plus, you extenuate this romance scene at the end of the book, where you talk about hibernation. Why are you teasing the reader here? And, and have you enjoyed writing this Cloud Rider series? You are teasing the reader here. You're naughty. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> well, you know... When I write, I try to, even if I'm writing a, um, a storyline that has a lot of tropes and stuff, I try to make them as different as possible. And, and quite frankly, when I got to the end of the series, I was at a quandary of what to do. I didn't want to say, well, happily ever after. I didn't want to say, oh, they died. So I kind of tucked them away to keep them going. In case I I want I had inspiration to pick up the story again and move on to some other books, and so their story is not finished, and their chance at romance, you know, truly being able to full, fulfill their full destiny and be free to have that family, to have that relationship as they want it, is not gone it's postponed 
till the next book, everyone. <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> I actually have three more books already planned. Oh, she's like a factory, everybody. <laughs> she's like a book factory. She just keeps churning them out. So oh, I try to keep it going. <laughs> yeah. So, so there we have um, the Cat Hunter book and the Cloud Rider series. So go on, Penny. What's next in your writing? Spill the beans here. Where's well, the next one coming out? <laughs> oh, um, we'll see. Um, the, uh, you know, between working full time and then everything else that's been going on with my books and the interest in them and all that, um, I, I've been trying to carve out time to write. Uh, but I do have the rough draft of Cloud Riders 4. I have the beginnings to a, um, uh, another part of the Cat Hunter story. Oh, good. Uh, that, <laughs> I love the Cat Hunter's book. On. And I do see how we, uh, I could even add to that. Um, and I've got in the back of my mind, there might, might be, okay. I'm not promising, John. Okay. Cause I know you really like it. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. But there has been a little bit of inspiration on a Cloud Riders, I mean, a Time Stealers 4. So um, we we shall see when that will come out. The oh. soonest one will probably be Cloud Riders 4. Oh, those, those time races keep coming, don't they, out of those clocks? They're a very mysterious race. They are, yeah. But do you know what, everybody? I'm trying to get her to do more of the Hunter's books. Because when you look at the cat hunters, there are lots of um, hunting tribes. And I think that there's a lot of legroom there to write more books about the various hunting tribes. I am trying to get her to do it. it (laughs) And I'm keeping it in mind. I think you have a very good suggestion. Absolutely. So who do you want to read your books, Penny? Where do you think your market is? Who do you want to go, oh, look at these books? Well, I always read where any age, any reader who can read chapter books, long chapter books, can read these books. Um, I try to, to um, you know, anywhere from, let's say, what, 13 up to 100 more, you know, if they like to read. But uh, any age can read them. But it is with some of the, the stories and some of the, the links into, to, like I mentioned during this, uh, of people's experiences. I think that like, um, young adults, possibly teenagers, but I think adults can still get, you know, quite a bit of entertainment out of them and maybe even see some reflection of their journey in their lives. We'll see. Uh, where can people get your books from, Penny? All of them are available on Amazon. Uh, there's, uh, there are several that are on Barnes and Noble. Um, the, the cloud writers, I will tell you, I'll tell you this. The cloud writers are just on Amazon, uh, paperback and Kindle. Cat hunters, uh, you can find the, um, the newest version. I'm going to try to show this has this cover on it. Um, there is another one previous to this, but if you want the, the most edited version, it'd be that one. Um, but uh, you can find that on Barnes and Noble, uh, any of the, uh, uh, you know, platforms, you know, that you can get books from, but, uh, most people find them on Amazon. 
Dr. Penny Claus, thank you once again for coming on the show and talking about your amazing books. Um, yes, she's the author of The Time Chronicles, but this podcast is about the Cat Under the Book and the Cloud Rider series books, everyone. <laughs> I'm J.D. Crowley. Thanks for listening, watching, wherever you're in the world. Till next time, stay safe. Thank you.